You see, the same man who rose from the grave is still doing miracles today. He's still the provider. He's still all-powerful. He's still the healer. He's still the forgiver. He is still the protector. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the King of Kings. He's still the life giver. He is the grave robber. All right. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Well, several years ago, around Christmas time, we took our kids to a magic show. Has anybody ever been to a magic show? Room, you've been to a magic show before? Well, we went to this magic show and we brought the kids, we brought my whole side of the family. So we had all the cousins, we had the uncles and aunts, we had grandma and grandpa as well. Now, uh, maybe you've discovered this as well, but when you uh, have kind of a larger family gathering, uh, everybody has their unique experience and their unique perspective, right? Like whether you want to hear it or not, they're going to give it to you, you're going to experience it. That's one of the reasons why the holidays can be such a stressful time of year. Well, this was uh, no different. We go to this magic show, and the kids were really young at the time, and they loved it. I mean, they thought it was the greatest thing in the world. They were convinced that it was magic, but they were trying to explain how some of that stuff had happened. It was kind of comical. And then Grandpa was, was there as well, trying to stay awake. Grandma was a couple seats down, and, and Grandma is convinced, I think, that uh, she, you know, she knows that it's not really magic. It is an illusion, but she was just as entertaining as the children were, I think. And then all the dads there that day, we, you know, 45 minutes into the whole thing, I think we were growing impatient, ready for the thing to be over, ready to get the kids home and get them to bed. And then the wives were like, no, it's great. You know, this is just awesome. And, and at, at any rate, uh, everybody has their unique perspective and their unique experience. Well, welcome to Element Church. My name is Andy Hazlett. I'm an associate pastor here at Element, and we are a few weeks into a uh, new series, an awesome series has been so far. It's called Grave Robber, and we're studying the miracles of Jesus that are recorded in the New Testament book of John. If you've missed the last two weeks, I encourage you to go on the church website and catch up. They have been uh, just fantastic. Now, uh, just like my family at the Magic Show, we all have our unique perspective of these miracles recorded in the Bible. Some of you have no problem believing that Jesus really did perform miracles, that he really is God, and he is really fully capable of performing the impossible. And, and before we go any further, I want to just uh, welcome our 6 p.m. service. If you're at the 6 p.m. service tonight, hey, thanks for being here. We're so grateful for you're here. And I apologize that I have to leave right after second service to go to Billings for some denominational meetings. So thank you for your grace and welcome to Element Church. So everybody has their unique perspective. And, and you may believe with no problem that Jesus really did perform miracles, or you may struggle to believe whether or not Jesus is capable or was capable of performing miracles. So some are skeptical, believing that there must have been a physical or scientific explanation to the miracles of Jesus. And some don't believe, Je don't believe that Jesus was anything more than a good man. Regardless of your perspective, whether you believe in Jesus or not, I'm so grateful 
that you are here today. And, and my prayer for you is that as we go through this series, my, my prayer is that there would be skeptics that are convinced, just like the skeptics of Jesus' day, by the greatest miracle of all, the resurrection of Christ. I pray that we would be convinced that Jesus really is God and that Jesus really does have the power to do the impossible. And just like the different perspectives in the room right now, the miracle we're, we're looking at today has three different perspectives that we're going to look at, or three different roles, like cinnamon rolls, and dinner rolls, and back rolls, barrel rolls, all kinds of different roles that we can look at. You know, I was not planning on that dad joke but this morning in run-through, like it just came to me, the, the Spirit of God just breathed that dad joke into my spirit, so I wanted to share that with you today. Um, okay, we're looking at a different kind of role today. The, uh, the miracle we're looking at today comes from John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. That's the main scripture for today. And we're looking at the miracle of Jesus healing the lame man. This, this man was unable to walk and Jesus healed him. The big question we'll ask and answer is this, what are the three roles in the miracle? And each role or each perspective has something unique to teach us about how we should respond today to the work of Jesus. So let's jump in. Verse one, it's up on the screens for you, it says this. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. The first role that we're going to look at today is this, number one, the healer. The healer. Obviously, uh, Jesus is the healer that we read about in this miracle. And he graciously heals the man that had been unable to walk for 38 years. And he had been down by the pool of Bethesda for many years, hoping and praying for a miracle. And there's a couple things that we need to know about the context of this miracle. First is about the actual site that the healing happened, the pool of Bethesda. There's going to be a couple pictures up on the screen 
for you. If you travel to Israel today, and in particular the city of Jerusalem, you can visit what archaeologists believe to be the Pool of Bethesda written about in John chapter 5. The fascinating thing is that the absence of archaeological evidence for many years was used by skeptics as proof that the New Testament is unreliable. But in the late 19th century, this site was discovered. It took nearly 100 years to fully uncover and properly identify it as the Pool of Bethesda uh, that we read about in John chapter 5. So it's pretty cool that we have archaeological evidence that supports the historical accounts that we have in the New Testament that, that was written roughly 2,000 years ago. That's, that's awesome, and that should be encouraging to us. Secondly, upon quick reading of this passage, you probably didn't even notice that we skipped over one and a half verses. Now, scholars and translators of the New Testament are not sure, honestly, uh, about half of verse 3 and all of verse 4, whether or not it was part of the original text. So we're going to read it right now. Verse 3 and 4 says this. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. Now this next section is the part that we're not sure about. Waiting for the moving of the waters, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. Now, there are a range of opinions among scholars about these verses in question. Some believe it was part of the original text. Some do not. Some believe an angel of God was really present, making these waters to have healing properties. Others believe that it was purely superstition. Let me share with you some comments from one scholar. Dr. J. Vernon McGee says this, the fourth verse of this chapter is not in the better manuscripts. To say this does not mean that I don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, but I do think we should heed scholarship, fundamental conservative scholarship, which su suggests that because it is not in the better manuscripts, it was put in by a scribe as a word of explanation. I believe it is factual and helps me understand why this crowd of impotent folk were here but whether it belongs in Scripture or not is not worth an argument. Now, the reality of this uncertainty should actually increase our trust in the reliability of the Scriptures because there are very few examples in the New Testament where we have a sentence or two that are contested and we're not sure whether or not they were part of the original manuscripts. But where there are question marks... There is no attempt to hide it. The scholars just say, hey, we're not sure about this verse in a half. So don't get too caught up in that. So in short, verse 4 in the latter part of verse 3 are in dispute. Whether this was purely superstition or whether an angel of the Lord really did stir up the waters, giving them healing properties, it doesn't change our interpretation. And that's important because it could change your interpretation uh, if you're interpreting it incorrectly or not interpreting it incorrectly. Um, the important thing to note is that these hurting people 
They were at the pool of Bethesda, and they were hoping for a miracle where apparently some miracles had occurred in the past. So with all of that background, what do we learn about Jesus, the healer? The, the lame man that Jesus healed had been in that state for 38 years. He had been laying by that pool for a long time, hoping for a miracle. And, and the point for us is to see that Jesus specifically sought after this man to heal him. Furthermore, Jesus is God and he proves himself through the miraculous to be capable of the impossible. Jesus is able to heal and he desires to heal us. Now, perhaps a, a helpful picture for us to think about um, is that of a good parent. How many parents are in the room? We've got a, a handful of parents, lots of parents in the room. So as a parent, more than likely, you struggle sometimes to know whether or not you are being a good parent. Like sometimes it's a difficult target to know if, if I have hit the target this time on being a good parent. Like I made my kid cry again, was that a good thing? Did I do a good job or did I go too far with that punishment or whatever? You know, sometimes it's difficult to know whether or not uh, we are good parents. And sometimes uh, this is, this is going to take a little bit of a turn here and it's tragic. And this story I'm going to share with you is absolutely horrific and awful. But sometimes as a parent, when we hear the opposite of what it means to be a good parent, like when we hear a story of a parent that actually did harm to their child, we have a better idea of understanding what it means to protect when we hear uh, the opposite of what that means. Well, I, I thought of an article I had heard about, um, and it actually happened uh, over 20 years ago, uh, but this article describes uh, a, a situation of a young mother that did harm to her child and I want to share part of it with you, it says this. An 18-year-old gave birth to a baby boy in the bathroom stall at an Aberdeen Township banquet hall in New Jersey during her high school prom. Maintenance workers called to clean up blood found in the stall, discover a bag in the garbage with her dead baby inside. An autopsy later revealed that the baby had been born alive and had been strangled to death. The, this young mother, 18 years old, no one knew that she was pregnant. She was able to hide that. Went to prom, gave birth to her child in the bathroom stall. The child was alive, strangled the child to death, put the body in the trash can, and proceeded immediately to go out into her prom and dance with her friends. Now that makes our stomach just turn upside down, does it not? It's awful. I mean, it's hard to imagine something more awful than that because a good parent would not do that. A, a good parent provides. A good parent protects and does not harm. A good parent loves and does not hurt. A good parent provides good gifts for their children. The point I'm trying to make is that Jesus is good. But sometimes 
we have a, a messed up understanding of Jesus in our own lives because we almost expect as if because we've screwed up so bad, because we've sinned and, and really messed up our lives sometimes, sometimes we, we believe that, that, we, that we personally deserve Jesus to do us harm instead. But Jesus is good. God is able to heal. He's able to set free. He's able to make us whole. And typically we don't struggle too much believing that Jesus is able to heal and able to help. But we do struggle to believe that he wants to offer healing to me. We have an easier time believing that God would want to save others than we do believing that it's true for me as well. But Jesus pursues the lame man in order to heal him. Believe it or not, Jesus wants to do a good work in you as well. In his book, The Grave Robber, Mark Batterson said something so challenging. He said, God won't answer 100% of the prayers you don't pray. If you assume the answer is no, you don't even give God a chance to say yes. You cannot answer your own prayers, but if you fail to ask God, he cannot answer them either. The first role that we can be encouraged by is that of the healer. We're reminded that not only is Jesus able to heal and to help and to love, he wants to heal me and you as well. The second role that we see in this miracle is the healed. The healed. There's so much that we can learn from the lame man uh, that was healed by Jesus on that day. So let's look at three specific things quickly. The first one is this healing involves movement. Healing involves movement. Looking back at verse six, it says this. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Dumb question, right? What do you mean, do you want to get well? Of course I want to get well. I've been unable to walk for 38 years. But for real, do you actually want to get well? We might assume that the answer for the invalid was an easy yes, but Jesus does not make that assumption. Batterson further comments and and shares some great insight with us. And he says, do you want to get well? This question gets to some deep-seated issues. For the invalid, getting well meant getting a job. It meant actually using his healed legs. It meant a new level of responsibility to society. Like every blessing from God, it comes with a burden of responsibility to steward it. You see, not everyone actually wants to be healed. The the healing of the invalid would require his life to completely change. And so it is with spiritual healing. Not everyone is actually interested in being forgiven by Christ. That sounds crazy, I know, but not everyone is actually interested because to be forgiven of my sin, it requires that I have a genuine trust in Jesus as Lord of my life. So instead of trusting in my own opinions 
Instead of trusting in my, my own advice for my life, Jesus is my Lord. I am no longer my Lord. Paul talks to the Corinthians and he, he says that their God was their appetite. But, but when you genuinely trust in Jesus for salvation, you, you are coming as a renegade and surrendering to him as your savior. And not everybody's interested in that because genuine repentance is the fruit of genuine belief. And, and not everyone is actually interested in being transformed and healed by Christ. Lots of people are interested in a version of Jesus, but fewer people are interested in following the real Jesus that is really described in the scriptures that really healed the sick and really rose from the dead. Second thing about healing is that healing requires a different approach. Verse seven, uh, looking back at verse seven, it says this, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Now, we don't know precisely how long the invalid sat by the pool hoping for a miracle, but it had been a long time. When Jesus shows up, he tells the man who couldn't walk, he tells him that he's looking for healing in the wrong place. Jesus took the man's eyes and he focused his attention on himself as the true source of healing. Many today are looking for answers in the wrong places. Perhaps we're looking to our own opinions or our own intellect. intellect. Perhaps we are, are, are trying to find fulfillment in an individual rather than finding fulfillment in Jesus. In any case, Jesus redirected the invalid's hope to be in him rather than being in a pool of water. The third thing about healing we see is that healing results in a different life. Results in a different life. Verse 14 says, But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. See, Jesus reconnects after the miracle with this man and finds him in the temple. Perhaps the man was going to the temple to give praise to God for the healing he had received. He most likely um, hadn't been able to worship in the temple for many, many years. Another crucial point for us to see here is that Jesus tells the man to stop sinning. Now, some scholars have suggested that the man's infirmity was a result of his sin. If nothing else, we're reminded of the deeper spiritual healing that transcends a physical healing. The physical healing, it would not have any eternal value if he rejected Christ and chose to remain in rebellion. Jesus' command to this man to stop sinning, it reminds us that Jesus doesn't just heal and forgive the consequences of our sin, but he wants to heal the source of it as well. He wants to root out the source of sin in our lives. That's good news. It's good news. How many of you like riding bikes? 
On a lighter note, we got some people you got like riding. I love to ride bikes. In the last two days, the weather's been awesome. So we've been able to ride some bikes. And uh, I thought I'd bring a bike today out here for you. It's going to be awesome. Let me put the kickstand up. Didn't know I had a kickstand. All right. Now, this is not my bike. This is my daughter's bike. Woo! I've always wanted to ride a bike in church. And she's upset at me that I brought her bike. Yes! I had to practice that multiple times because the first time I practiced, it's got that brake on the back pedal, you know? And you know how adult bikes don't have that anymore. And uh, I was trying to ride. I'm like, why can't I go? And, uh, you know, it just wasn't working. So I have to start from a standing position. Sitting position won't work for me. Um, So I brought my daughter's bike here today. And a few years ago, um, this was my son's bike. And I went out into the garage one day, and the tire was flat. Normal kind of thing for a kid's bike. Um, you know, looking back, um, I, I often, as a joke, will ride my kids' bikes and they get upset at me. So it's entirely possible that the tire was flat because I rode on the bike back then. But in any case, the tire was flat. And so I, I got a patch out and I patched uh, the tube on the tire. I put it back in there, aired it up. It's good to go. And then a few days later, I came back out and the tire was flat again. So I got the patch kit back out. I patched it again, hoped, okay, maybe I got it. This time there were two holes, not just one. Fixed it. Good to go. A few days later, flat again. Dang it. And so I can't remember how many times I patched it, two or three times. Finally, I thought this isn't going to work. This thing's shot. Okay, go to the store, get a new tube, put it in the tire, air it up. Good to go. It's been good ever since, although it may be flat tomorrow morning. You see, I had been, I'd been trying to patch the hole, and a patch wasn't going to work. Like, I've been trying to do a patch, and, and what needed to happen was a, a, total, a total gut job, right? Like, a total transplant was needed. Like, I, I'd been trying to do some outpatient surgery on, on the tire, and a transplant was necessary. Now, I, I know it's kind of silly. It was just, you know, I just wanted to ride a bike on stage today, so it's the main reason. But um, I know this maybe as a silly illustration, but you see, when Jesus healed the lame man, he made sure to communicate to him that the healing he offers is an eternal solution, not temporary. The, the man was looking in the wrong place for healing. And whether you've been looking in the wrong place or maybe you've been interested only in temporary relief, Christ offers a permanent solution to our problems. Now, he doesn't promise that you will never have difficulty because ironically, God may be using difficulty in our lives for a specific and a good reason. Jesus offers healing, yet so often we're not actually interested. We'd rather live life that we've grown accustomed to. It's easier sometimes to remain comfortable than to ask God for a miracle because a miracle might actually require some work. I want to encourage us to pray through these two questions. First one is this. Have I been looking for healing in the wrong places? Have I been looking for healing in the wrong places? Second question is, am I actually prepared to trust in Jesus for help? Because the answer... (laughs) 
you might not like, right? Sometimes we don't like God's answer because it means, hey, you're wrong. You need to change this. You need to stop doing this. You need to start doing this or, or whatever. Like sometimes we're wrong. We don't like the answer. So am I, am I prepared to trust in Jesus for help? And newsflash, that's what it means to follow Jesus, right? It may start with a simple prayer, but it is a profound commitment. So we've looked at two roles. We've looked at the role of the healer, the role of the healed, but there's one more in the story. Number three, it's the haters. Verses nine and 10 say this, but this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who is cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. The initial response of the religious leaders immediately after the miracle was to criticize the miracle that didn't fit within their religious rules. And these rules, by the way, were a far cry from the original intent of the Sabbath rules. See, there's nothing wrong with rules. Like the scripture tells us how to live, but sometimes we take that further and we add our opinions to what the scripture actually describes. And instead of celebrating and rejoicing over this man that had been unable to walk for 38 years, they only spewed criticism. Speaking of Jesus, Dr. Warren Wearsby says this, he deliberately challenged the legalistic traditions of the scribes and Pharisees. They had taken the Sabbath, God's gift to man, and had transformed it into a prison house of regulations and restrictions. Their, their legalistic tradition and pride-filled hearts kept them from praising God for this incredible miracle. And, and this event, by the way, marks the public start of the persecution of Jesus. Not too long ago, um, I met with a, a church leader in a different community. Often I, I have an opportunity to meet with church leaders in other parts of, uh, other parts of the region, especially and in different communities. And I met with this gentleman. We met for coffee. We were talking about, uh, you know, what it means to follow Jesus and how churches are uh, called to help people follow Jesus. And uh, we met for 45 minutes, and he shared with me his, his real uh, negative opinion about how churches in his community were not doing a good job of helping people follow Jesus. And we had an amicable conversation, at least most of it. And actually, um, I agreed with, with some of what he believes it means to follow Jesus and help people follow Jesus. So we had this decent conversation, and, and then it just took this weird, negative, and angry turn about halfway through the conversation. And, and it became apparent to me real quick that he, he was, all he could do is point out the negative and critique every other church in town and was just so angry. And this was coming from a, a gentleman that claimed to love the church, yet had nothing good to say about it only negative to say about it. And it's not very often that I have a conversation like that that ends poorly, but this one ended poorly, and we parted ways, went different directions, and I was so, I was so sad because at one point he told me that, there were, that he believed there were no churches in his community 
that were actually helping people to follow Jesus. None. Now, I know that community that he lives in. It's a large community, and there's some great churches in it. So to say that nothing good is happening, like everybody's failing, and I'm right. By the way, what church do you go to? Oh, I gather at my house with some other angry people. For real? See ya. Man, I'm so sad for him. So sad for him. And the reason I share that with you is because as Christians, we can very easily find ourselves to become holier than thou. We really can, all of us in the room, myself included. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to have strong opinions about what it means to follow Jesus and what's appropriate and correct for local churches to do in order to help people follow Jesus. I have strong opinions. That's not a bad thing as long as they are biblical opinions and as long as we're not adding a bunch of unnecessary things to it, right? But when those opinions, especially when they're opinions, when those opinions prevent you from seeing the work of God in people's lives and prevent you from seeing the work of God in local churches, I fear that we've become filled with the pride that Jesus hates. Can you imagine being there on that day when this man was healed, a man that you've seen crawling around the pool hoping for years to be healed, and this man encounters Jesus and he starts walking. That's awesome. That's incredible, but, but for real. Think about it. Would you celebrate or would you critique? Would you celebrate or would you be jealous? Didn't heal me. Would we celebrate? Or would we grow bitter? It's easy from our perspective, 2,000 years after the fact, to say, oh, I can't believe them, Pharisees. Can't believe that. Man, can you, can, you believe, can you believe that whole thing? It's difficult when we don't know what's going to happen, right? If all you ever do is critique, if all we ever do is critique, Perhaps we have some repenting to do. Perhaps I have some repenting to do. Like the gospel, I heard a guy say this once, it's stuck so deeply in my soul. The gospel message of Jesus that he saves, it, it is an invitation, not an indictment. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus isn't calling us to strong things because he is. He said, count the cost. And to be honest with you, I think there's many, many, many people that think they're following Jesus, but they're actually not. They're interested in Jesus, but they haven't actually committed to follow him. But friends, it is an invitation, not an indictment. If there's any prayer that, that I have for us today, it's this, Lord, let us be like the lame man that knew he was broken and he looked to Jesus for healing and let us despise 
the pride that so easily creeps into our hearts and prevents us from celebrating the work of God in the most unlikely of recipients. Now, as Jeff has been saying the last couple of uh, weeks in the series, today we get to provide a miracle for some people today. But before we do that, uh, I want to share with you what happened last week. Uh, the total given last week in our dollar challenge, including the matching $1,500 from Element uh, Church, was $11,000. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. Yes. So uh, we're, we're thrilled to let you know that RIP Medical Debt, uh, our partner organization for last week, uh, they will take that $11,000 and they will be paying off $1.1 million of medical debt in Laramie County and throughout Wyoming. Isn't that cool? It's awesome. It's awesome. So praise God. Praise God. You, you are a generous church. Uh, so some of you brought a dollar today. I'll share with you what to do with that in just a moment. Next week, though, uh, we're doing something a little different. So don't bring a dollar next week. Uh, we're going to do something different, uh, but you're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be awesome, so make sure you're here next week. But today, we get to partner with a phenomenal organization that is in the business of serving people with significant physical limitations. So go ahead and check out this video. Seventy-five million individuals in the world live in need of a wheelchair but cannot afford one. They are forced to crawl, feel like a burden. They are shunned, stigmatized, misunderstood. They are who we love. Since 2001, Free Wheelchair Mission has distributed more than one million wheelchairs to those living with a disability in 93 countries. Our wheelchairs bring hope, freedom, renewed dignity, and community. People are lifted off the ground and into a new future. Lift with us. It's awesome. So uh, with Free Wheelchair Mission, we're partnering with them today. Um, so if, you're, if you brought a dollar uh, for the dollar challenge today, you can drop it off in one of the open black baskets at the auditorium entrances, not the giving boxes, but the uh, open black baskets, uh, or there's a giant red heart out in the lobby. You can put it in there as well, and uh, the church will match that with $1,500 today. So if we accomplish our weekly goal of $1,500 with the match, we'll be at $3,000 given to this organization today. And uh, that will provide roughly 40 wheelchairs. Each wheelchair costs about $80. So that's, that's just awesome. So I appreciate so much your generosity as a church. In just a minute, we're going to pray. Um, but man, I just want to circle back again and uh, remind us that there's so much we learned from this miracle. From, from Jesus, the healer, hopefully you're encouraged today that not only can Jesus heal and help, he wants to actually help you and have a presence in your life that is restoring and changing and working in you. From the healed man, I think the greatest thing we learn is that he turned his eyes off the things of this world that couldn't heal 
and he turned his eyes to Jesus. He recognized his brokenness, and he turned to Jesus for help. And man, when we look at the Pharisees, let us be challenged by their pride. And and let us be quick to identify pride in our own hearts. And, And let us just shut our mouth when we're about to point out pride in others, right? Uh, because we probably have become prideful ourselves of that. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, help us to be like the lame man who took his eyes off the empty promises of this world and instead he put his eyes on you. Forgive us, Lord Jesus, for our pride. Help us to see your work all around us. May you heal our brokenness, Jesus. Amen.